The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to advance the Lordship of Christ, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. a culture clash, plain and simple. Eric, how do you think you are talking to me like that? I resent the fact that your implication that only you are a Canadian. All right, well, there you go. That's the... Uh Sounder that the culture clash is now in session, friends. And uh, we are joined in the studio by Dr. Scott Masson, Senior Fellow at the Ezra Institute of Contemporary Christianity. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, John. And Justin Trotche, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. Morning to you, Justin. Good morning to both of you. How are you? We're good. We're good. And there's a lot to talk about, but uh, something that's being widely discussed, uh, obviously, with the memorial taking place in Moncton as we speak for the three slain RCMP officers, the story of Justin Bork and uh, where his father actually said the other day in a very heart-rending interview that uh, he's a gentle soul whose troubles began when he stopped going to church with the family, and he hoped his son would rediscover God while locked up. It's not the guns that do the damage, he said. It's the mind behind it. And then he said, uh, they can point the finger at our son. They can point the finger at our son, but we all have to look at ourselves. The evils that exist in society do have an influence, and we need to take stock to heal as a community. So, uh, and he also implored people, uh, saying we had to look after our weaker brethren, including his son Justin. Let me start with you, uh, Doctor Masson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know where he's suggesting that this is a communal issue more than just an individual who went off the rails, and uh, that there are forces, I guess, at play. Uh, and he couched it as saying evil. You now, whether you believe it's evil in some permutation, or it's just, you know, a lot of things like uh, internet websites that might be, you know, preaching, uh, I don't know, uh, some kind of outlier status and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, or do you, well, what, what is your take on it? Do you think that uh, the father of Justin Bork is making a, a case here that there's a, his kid was just a pawn in a, a bigger game? Well, I think he's bringing, he's raising an important issue. I'm not, I'm not <clears throat> quite sure that he's going so far as to exculpate himself from all uh, responsibility or his son there, thereby. I mean, he, if he's going to say this is evil, he's going to say that this was also an evil act and that his son committed it. What he is suggesting, I think, uh, I mean, we've got very sh- brief quotes here, is that, that sin begets sin, that evil begets more evil, and that uh, there is a consequence to a social uh, embrace of uh, things that are acknowledged by, quite frankly, everybody to uh, be detrimental to the, the social good, such as the violent and sexually explicit movies and the TV shows and the video games that don't respect life. Uh, he also referred to euthanasia and abortion, which reflect a widespread uh, view of life as basically a matter of convenience, um, quoting Paul and looking after our weaker brethren. So he, he did try and contextualize and say, you know, uh, if we're going to be outraged by this act, which we ought to be, then then we should maybe take a look at ourselves and what we regularly allow. I, well, I think that's legitimate. He said we are all responsible. Yeah, so. I don't agree with that in that sense. That, and not, not in the strong sense of the word. Of course, we're not all responsible. This all right. Well, Justin, you know, because of their uh, this confluence of influences, do you think that uh, the father is making a case here? Uh, or is he just, you know, maybe passing the buck on behalf of his son? 
Well, I think whenever we have these horrendous tragedies, and we've seen all too uh, all too many of them in, in recent uh, weeks and months, I think we we search. It's quite naturally quite natural, quite human to search for answers. Um, and and I think uh, sometimes, certainly for parents, especially who have been personally affected by these kinds of tragedies, either as parents of victims or parents of of uh, accused parties, um, all the more reason to try to find some kind of rationalization uh, to, to to explain what happened, perhaps something other than themselves to sort of pin the blame on, as, as Scott was suggesting. But in this case, there's a lot of complexity here. We don't have all the details. Uh, Justin Burke uh, did, did survive the confrontation with police, so some of this may come out. Mm-hmm. What we do know is that he was uh, a, a sort of a conspiracy theory guy. Uh, we know that he was sort of gun-obsessed. We know that there was drug and substance abuse. So all of these variables mix in to explain the unique circumstances of this troubled young man and what led up to these horrible events. And I think it's really too soon to pin the blame on any one particular thing, uh, a lot of attention has been focused recently on the comments of Victor Burke, Justin's father, uh, mm. pertaining to uh, Justin sort of leaving the religion of his, of his family. Yeah, he mm-hmm. stopped think, going to church. Like, right. <clears throat> that this had formed uh, a moral framework for mm-hmm. him, and mm-hmm. once he was absent that, he went off the rails because all of these other evil influences. Furthermore, he not, he not just left it, he rebelled against it. I mean, at least by the... Well, by, he had a problem with authority. He had a problem with authority in general, and, and in particular, the, the Christian authority that he was raised in with its moral framework, etc. <laughs> well, all authority. I mean, he wasn't a big fan of the police either, and I think, you know, a lot of Christian conservatives create a healthy respect in in their youngsters for legitimate forms of authority well absolutely so you know i mean one of the it. things that i mean this is slightly off topic but i mean it does fit entirely with it one, one of the things that moved me was the actions of the police in uh in apprehending this fellow they wanted to kill him they said they wanted to kill him but one of the policemen said we're not killers uh we're, we're, we're going to restrain yeah. ourselves we are under the rule of law now for a man uh, or men out there like this, uh, Justin Bork, who's just uh, said that the police, you know, you can't trust them, etc. This was a wonderful response from, I would say, a Christian society that places itself under the rule of law and respects human life and the law and the rule of law, etc. Well, I, I do think, again, we need to be careful before we... We, uh, we bring religion into this in an unfair way. I mean, there, there's no more sense that this particular police officer was, um, was himself a, a, a devout Christian. Have you ever been uh, to Moncton? Any, any more. <laughs> no, I, I admit I haven't. Right. You know, any more than religion had something to do with, uh, or the lack of religion had something to do with, uh, with uh, Justin Bork's frame of mind when he committed these, these atrocities. I, well, just, I wouldn't blame religion. I also wouldn't blame secular society. Well, I would say that religion speaks to an issue that does underlie this, which is the fact that... Uh, the, the, what's the explanation for such an atrocious act? I, well, I think. Let me Christian, stop you okay, there because I ahead. think there's an interesting question. You know, and uh, I, this came to mind the other day. I'm watching this documentary called The Unbelievers uh, that deals with um, Lawrence Krauss, who's a physicist and an atheist, and uh, who's the other guy? Richard there? Dawkins. Richard Dawkins. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> you know, when they talk about uh, how people, you know. Evolution brought about, uh, you know, uh, morality or at least a moral compass instilled <laughs> a conscience and moral compass in people basically because it was a survival mechanism. See, where the church, in this case, Mr. Bork is saying, you know, he stopped going to church. Therefore, he drifted away from his moral framework. Uh, the unbeliever guys, the atheists would say you can still have a moral compass irrespective 
of religion. Well, and of course, I mean, prisons are not filled with, with atheists that have commit, committed crimes. I mean, the rate of, of, uh, of religiosity or of lack of religiosity among, among inmates is, is no more higher one way or the other than the general population. If we compare, you know, societies at large, more secular societies, societies that have higher levels of, of atheism, not state-imposed atheism, but just people that, that gradually move towards skepticism of religion, these secular societies, again, have lower rates of crime, of substance abuse, of teen pregnancy. So, no, I'm sorry. I mean, we can theorize as to why this is, but the, the data is very clear. Well, you don't I, get crimes happening simply because people abandon religion. Well, I, I think we're, we need to really, we're making a category mistake. There isn't the, the category of religious people versus atheists here. We have a category of sinners, which, which includes everyone, yep. which is the explanation for, for this evil act, quite frankly, is that the, the taint of original sin. Uh, the father quotes the fact, uh, quotes scripture saying there, but for the grace of God go I. In other words, I was capable of this as well, but by God's providential restraint, I'm not given, being given over to this evil like that. Uh, we, so we have the category of sinners in which everybody's included, and those that call themselves Christians who understand themselves as sinners, capable of this, but they are forgiven sinners, and by the grace of God, they've been freed from the grip of sin and are freed to act in accordance with a lawful manner. So it's not the case that atheists are, are, are more sinful than others. It's simply that they don't recognize that the atonement of Christ applies to them, and then they can live freed from uh, that grip of sin. They, they, live they as don't laws need to recognize themselves. that. Hmm? They don't need to recognize that to live all right, essentially free they do, of sin. It's true. All right, but let me get uh, back to the issue of, you know, morality here. And, uh, you know, in a different context, you see this election playing out here, and there's a lot of disingenuous yep. stuff being thrown around, and uh, <laughs> even to the point of being dishonorable. I'm wondering if uh, maybe we're losing our moral compass in the public debate or discourse, you know, mm. where people can play fast and loose and misrepresent or mischaracterize. Do you sense that it's any worse today than it might have been a generation or so removed? I mean, or back in the day, or was it ever thus? It's a politics is a blood sport, and you know, therefore, uh, like they say in warfare, truth is the first casualty. Same as it ever was, Justin, or is this something that you know would maybe alert you that? Uh, we're devolving as a society with our discourse. I don't know about that. This is a particularly close election, mm. um, and it's the first really close election provincially, I think, that we've had in the last maybe two or three elections. So I think when that happens, you see desperation, uh, and you see that happening from 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 all three of the parties, frankly. Um, but, you know, one of the, the earlier elections that I, when I started to follow politics more closely, involved uh, the premiership of Mike Harris. And there was lots of nasty ads by, by teacher groups and by, you know, uh, public sector unions. And, and uh, uh, Mr. Harris sort of gave as good as he got. I was particularly uh, nasty and brutal campaigns, the ones uh, that where he was leader. So, I, and that was what, 15 or so years ago. So, no, I don't think um, that that necessarily indicates that we've devolved. I think that this is just something that ebbs and flows. Some elections are nastier generally when they're closer calls and, and when people get more desperate. Well, I don't agree. Uh, I do think that there is a clear degeneration of uh, morality and, and personal conduct, and it's been recognized by, by everybody, and it, maybe it's just happened so slowly, like the proverbial frog boiling in the water, slowly getting hotter and hotter. <laughs> Scott, how do you measure that exactly? <laughs> you can't. Crime rates and th- are this down. is the point, but measurables are not an indication of the truth of the point here. My, my point, which I just made, is that you cannot measure what I've just said but if you if you have an, a long enough memory or have lived long enough, then you will know exactly what I'm talking about. You're a younger man.
and Justin, your memories of politics for, go back for thousands 15 years. of years. Every generation has right, thought but this that. Is a, this is a, well, this is an absolute fallacy to say that because things have happened in the past that there isn't a degeneration, and, and also that there aren't societies and 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 ages when, which we would say are morally superior. I think that uh, that it is a there is a clear. Degeneration of it, and I will direct. I'll, I'll connect it with this. Uh, the f- first topic, the idea of the sanctity of human life, which uh, again, his father connected with euthanasia and abortion. We can see there uh, an attitude towards the human person, which has made the human person a matter of convenience. We can appeal to again. We've got. Uh, other things on the docket for this. Uh, euthanasia, this can be a matter of, uh, of helping people and so forth. Well, uh, when you have that view of human nature, then I would say things like people's feelings start I think to become it's, a, it's a particularly Christian concept and religious concept more generally, that there was once this golden age and we are, we are living in a degenerate age. No, but it's if not you, a Christian concept if, if you at look all. At, if you look at what was written about by scholars throughout the centuries, every generation thinks that it used to be better than it currently is. That's simply and not true. The Epic of Gilgamesh, I mean, one of the first works of literature from more than 3,000 years ago, there was also a sense that they were living in a degenerate age and the, the elders sort of had it better when when, when, when they were running things. This is just a common human tendency. You can't give me any statistics. You can't look at crime, for example, which continues to decline and tell me that there's any evidence that All things right, are well, degenerating. There are countless societies that have thought they're living in the golden age, Justin. So well, let's just I'm not that. saying that either. I'd welcome some calls on that because I'm curious. You know, as I say, the, the election's gotten nasty. Now, is it uh, for those who may have a longer memory or horizon, do you think we've degenerated here? Just in terms of value systems, which is what Scott's encompassing other things, I mean, you might even bring into question whether or not, uh, you know, the whole prostitution law that's being debated now uh, in the public discourse, is that symptomatic that, you know, we're degenerating? Uh, But what we're seeing, let's call the uh, accusations and some of the things, this mud being slung is rather dishonorable. Is it because we're living in degenerate times, to use the term that was brought to the before by Justin Trotche. We'll take some calls and then we'll talk about what the uh, Catholic Teachers Association has done to uh, run afoul of the hierarchy in the church in moments as well. Tim Hudak thinks your kids are getting too much attention at school. Too much one-on-one support. Too much extra help. Too much of everything. So Tim Hudak has threatened to get rid of thousands of teachers. Think about this the next time you see one of those ads from the liberals or the government unions that are attacking our positive plan. Million dollar smear campaigns, they don't come cheap. So what's been promised in return? And how much is that going to cost the folks standing here behind me out of their pocketbooks to make the government unions happy? We just can't afford it. All right, well, you heard the opening salvo and then the response from Mr. Hudak, but it's just symptomatic of my larger question. Have we devolved in terms of the political discourse? You know, in the politics, a campaign certainly uh, heats up the rhetoric, uh, does that symbolize anything to you, that we've gotten nastier and maybe social media is lending itself to this as well? You know, there's a lot of trolling going on, discreditable and dishonorable conduct, uh, mischaracterizing people, their positions, and so on and so forth. Just mm-hmm. wondering if it's always been this way, uh, albeit, you know, in the absence of social media, there were other media at the time, pamphleteers back in the day of the Upper Canada Rebellion, and whatnot, or have we devolved? What's your sense for it? Mark in Toronto, good morning, Oakley Show. Good morning, John. How are you? Good, thanks, and you? Oh, I'm okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's that society has, uh, or I don't think that things have gotten nastier in, in terms of the way they're fighting. Um, I think people's sense of entitlement has grown. Um, 
I'm baffled by this election. It's, it, it, it should be a no-brainer. The only two parties that should be have a fighting chance are the NDP and the Conservatives. Mm. If, if somebody came into your home and stole money from you, would you let that person back in your home? <laughs> no, but yet the Liberals are still there, and they've blown away billions of our tax dollars. And yet they still have a fighting chance. It's mm. crazy. And I think the only reason they're there is because they're willing to say that they're going to give daycare. They're going to give more public programs. Oh, so they're buying people's paper. principles and their value system. If there's no consequences, what you're saying is, you know, and something that we imbue in our children, you know, you've got to be honorable and this, that, and mm. the, uh, you know, set the moral compass, as I said mm. earlier. If there are no consequences, what is that saying to our broader society, or what cues are people taking from that? Or do you think that that might be a dangerous thing? Yeah, and, and I think that is dangerous, because I don't even know how they have a fighting chance in this election. Well, they've got a very good chance, and I think we know the reason for it. <laughs> That's a great... Yeah, exactly. This is just yeah. a great point, but it actually illustrates the degeneration of the society, where people will actually... Nobody disputes what you're saying about the corruption of this government, and yet people are still willing to, to vote for them. Well, how, why would that be, other than that they think that... There is no such uh, standard of truth and falsehood, and that they're all basically the same. So there's such a cynicism that has crept in that they're still they're willing to vote for the. But actually, the interesting thing is when you look at the polls, when you ask people, do they think that the liberal government deserve, deserves when they use that word deserves to form another government? Uh, the response is is quite negative. Right. But I think what we're seeing is that unfortunately there are just no good options. So there are a lot of people who don't want to award the liberal government another another opportunity at power, but they just don't know where else to go because the other parties are not satisfying them. Well, I mean, I, again, and I think this is partly because of the vested interests that lie behind uh, the Liberals. Uh, and I, I mean, I think Mr. Hudak's point is, is well made. And I, I think in general, I mean, I'm not hugely impressed by him, but I have to say that it, more or less he has run a fairly clean campaign, has, has risen above the uh, attacks on his character, his person, uh, and has tried to conduct himself differently. Well, let me people... ask you, though. Let me challenge that, because okay. from the other side, playing devil's advocate, right. you hear, you know, we're talking about uh, morality and, uh, you know, how corruption is immoral, and that's pretty blatant and obvious to all of us, including of the last caller, and yet, conversely, the the sort of balancing that's done from the other side is, oh, Mr. Hudak's proposed job cuts and cuts to services are equally immoral. No, well, that's simply not true, because he's not... He's not just cutting all jobs. To cut jobs across the board would be, in some sense, immoral. You're depriving somebody of their livelihood. What he's doing is saying that he's going to cut uh, public sector jobs, and he's going to do so in a way which, uh, which is not getting out there through attrition, largely, and he's being very uh, selective about it. Um, so he's not cutting jobs. He's cutting a certain type of jobs, and he's doing so in order to deal with a problem of debt, which also kills jobs. And, and, and many would argue uh, cutting taxes is a way of promoting yeah, jobs. I mean, so, I mean and that's in, been demonstrated through, uh, through the Western world. Without weighing in on my own you know, personal politics here, I think let's just say that I, I think both Mr. Hudak and the other leaders are all, are all moral in the sense that they do believe that they're motivated by a sense that they're putting forward the best policy plan for Ontario. The disagreement is over who does have the best ideas in terms well, that's of improving the economy. Of the other is somebody's got a track record and baggage, and Correct. that sort of uh, should disqualify them of from... Well, that's why my statement was specific to the I was going to say, ideas. many people's considerations, but, uh, you know, by the same token, you know, we can look at Rob Ford, and uh, there's, right. you know, the criminal aspect of things, there's the character flaws, I mean, there's a seeking of redemption now by, in a certain fashion, I guess, I don't know, but does that then taint him uh, irredeemably as well, or should it? Well, I mean, 
what what action? I mean, is there? A, I mean, there's obviously actions that Mr. Ford has committed that people will deplore, me included. Uh, my question is: Are they on the level of of public corruption of public funds? Are they the same? Are they the same sort of corruption? I think those sort of judgments do need to be made. I think but, but you're uh, somebody who believes that people should live the moral code that they that is at their that is at their foundation. Right, I don't and, think as that pub- and as a public, Mr. Figure. Ford has has done that. And you know, I would turn uh, Tim Hudak's comments that he made in the in the uh, debate last week uh, back on Mr. Ford, which is when somebody apologizes over and over again and keeps committing the same kinds of acts, you have to ask whether they're actually they're actually uh, uh, due to be forgiven. And we'll have to see if if Rob Ford, when he comes out of rehab, if he's a changed man. But indications are not. Not good based on his slew of apologies and then uh, uh, committing the same actions over and over again for all right, multiple but he still years. got the support, and I mean, maybe that's the same group who, uh, no, not really support the Liberals, despite all of the uh, things that they carry for. Here's Bruce weighing in. You know, we're just wondering if in society in general we're seeing a degeneration of sorts and uh, a loss of accountability. Nobody's uh, paying any consequence for, or, you know, people don't pay consequences for their actions. What's your sense, Bruce? Uh, well, John, I can tell you, I was with a couple of young people who will be voting for the first time in this election. Uh, they're not religious zealots, but they do believe in the Ten Commandments. And I said to you, I said to them, kids, uh, from what you know of these people, if you put all of them together and put out the Ten Commandments, and from what you know that's happened in the news, who's, who's broken more of them? And right off the top, superficially, they said, well, the Liberals have stolen and they've borne false witness. So uh, that takes out the other two. And that's at the most primal level. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, and I'd also like to ask Justin at the primal level. I know you don't like to acknowledge a lot of or endorse a lot of organized religion. But at the most primal level, do you not agree that we wrestle not against blood and flesh, but against the principalities of evil, and that spiritual warfare, as in Moncton, as in all of us, as in every day, is very real. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we do wrestle both internally within ourselves and also in society at large with aspects of good and evil. I think that there are aspects of good and evil in each of us and aspects of good and evil. And I, you know, we can debate what those words actually mean, but let's just leave it at that within the acts of, of, uh, of social groups. Well, I mean, when but, you say that, Justin, you don't even deny the, uh, you don't even acknowledge the existence of God. So I wonder what you mean. I mean, God is the one who defines what good is. So you can't even refer to evil he? without ref. Of course he is. Everything, including the Ten Commandments. How does that work? Because don't we judge God to be good because we already have an innate sense of what's good. We judge God to be we know good that because God he is just good. Make up commandments willy nilly. We know that he couldn't, for example, decide that thou shall not murder, or the other Ten Commandments that the caller is referring to. Those couldn't just be flipped and become the opposite of what they are, right? We know God wouldn't do that because we have an innate sense of good and evil. We don't need to get All that right, from let God. Me, well, let me accept, move on. Let okay. me move away. Uh, sure. I mean, the Ten Commandments. He also forgot uh, Kathleen Wynne maybe coveting her neighbor's wife. I don't know. Well, <laughs> indeed, and committing adultery, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, sure. Well, yeah. all right. That's your just uh, that, that's sure. uh, your take on it, there, uh, Scott. But here's the other thing. I mean, when we talk about uh, you know. It's inevitable, I guess, religion would rear its head uh, in the, the run-up to the Pride Parade. Uh, the Ontario Catholic school teachers uh, are being now criticized by the Cardinal, uh, Archbishop Thomas Collins, and uh, some of the other in the hierarchy in the Catholic Church because they're planning to uh, show the colors. They're going to be uh, marching in the annual parade on the 29th of this month, they say, to show support for gay-straight alliances in schools and also sympathy or, or, or I guess, compassion for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered folk. Our presence in this parade is a symbol of our support for students, teachers, and others in the LGBT community, says the head of the union, uh, James Ryan. 
And uh, they say they, despite, they also support Catholic teachings on chastity. We've been very clear about what our participation means and what it doesn't mean. But the archbishop uh, called them, Cardinal Collins, called them to a meeting. He says they must misunderstand their faith. This decision shows, quote, that they and the Catholic Teachers Association leadership have an inadequate and mistaken understanding of their faith. Uh, Justin, I'll start with you on this one. I mean, are they uh, right to march in the parade despite the uh, protestations and the feelings of the the cardinal, the titular head, and uh, certainly in this province of the Catholic Church? Are they doing it in defiance of him? Legitimately or otherwise? Well, they're doing it in support of gay and lesbian students. Let's remember, these are, this is the teachers' union. These are teachers who are the closest on the ground dealing with students and their issues day in, day out. Trustees, bishops do not have that direct relationship with students. Parents? P- parents and parent groups are divided on this. I mean, certainly there are petitions that are circulating from parent groups or groups that aim to speak for parents that are calling on on teachers that support gay rights to be given a just punishment by the church. And I think there's something rather perverted about religious discipline being put on teachers who work in the best interests of children in a publicly funded uh, school system. But that's, I guess, the topic for another debate. Uh, but the point is, there is a wedge that's happening here between the teachers who are the frontline workers, if you will, who know the issues that students are facing, and those trustees and bishops who are very much removed from the day-to-day affairs of students. Well, all right, with the daily affairs, you know, when the uh, cardinal says the union's gone beyond its scope as a collective bargaining agent, mm. and therefore, you know, that's really the point and purpose of a union, mm. not to try to massage the Catholic message mm. or uh, somehow run counter to it. Mm. Uh, well, if they were being loyal foot soldiers who were pushing forward the Catholic message, I don't think he'd be asking the union to just stick to collective bargaining. So there's a bit of a double standard there, I think. Well, he's, trying, uh, he's telling them to stick to doctrine or dogma. As he's but these are teachers. That's not their job. Their job is to teach and represent the best interests of students. Well, Sorry, is teaching them truth and doctrine and dogma not in their best interests? I mean... I, well, it's a Catholic school, after all. That's the point, I guess, that uh, really comes home. What, how do we define Catholicism in the, the Catholic school system? Does it still mean anything? Or is it, as I joked the other day, the Ontario uh, English Cafeteria Catholic Teachers Association? <laughs> is that what we've got going on well, here? Well, it sounds like it, more or less. I mean, what we have going on here, and this is a symptom of a wider societal issue here, is we have a sort of a reverse conversion therapy. You know that it was applied, you know, you could, if you're gay, you can get uh, conversion therapy to... Right to sort of wean yourself if you actually choose to do that. I think publicly we're seeing this happening, playing out now in this particular forum. But again, also in uh, uh, Toronto, I see that they're going to be marrying some uh, a bunch of couples publicly and so forth. There's this sort of straight man's rehab uh, so that the state can mandate diversity through conformity. Now, this is not just a neutral act. It is a fundamentally religious act. It just happens to be a different religion than the Christian religion. It's where all sexual uh, lifestyles are included and celebrated. Well, this is just, again, a form of religious paganism. And it's it's not a new a new one. It's an old one. Individual it's, rights and equality, not to mention gay people coming into monogamous union, right, which is something Justin. I would Otherwise, think that you would Otherwise, the murderer has the same status as the saint. There, there isn't equality. That is not a, a fundamental right. You misuse the term fundamental when you, when you say that. Equality of treatment between individuals who have different law. sexual no, orientations. That's no, what the, I'm referring to. Yeah, but equality under the law is to treat them as persons, to, to treat their... With equal rights and dignity. Right, but their choices uh, to murder or to go back to... Or to to not, murder or to have gay marriage, I don't... 
think I see the connection there. Sexual, sexual uh, activity is fundamentally a moral act. So there are certain things that are going to be moral and there are certain things that but are going to be immoral. But it's not your job to impose your moral standards Oh, is it your job to impose adults? your moral standards? Well, so I'm not, well, I'm not forcing right, anybody I'm, to I know you're not, but what I'm saying is well, that societally we are mandating diversity through conformity and calling it equality. And all right, but you've got a Catholic church here who believes that they still give the marching orders to the Catholic teachers and the union has decided they're going to disobey this directive. Uh, The cardinal and the teachers, the head of the teachers union are not eye to eye in this one. Mm. So who's right? Who's wrong? Well, the the representative from the teachers union has described gay students in Catholic schools as among the most marginal communities. I think that is completely appropriate, that comment. And what they're doing is trying to respond to that. I think that's praiseworthy. So the cardinal shouldn't be sitting there and saying this is what we believe is the Catholic teachings and uh, you guys have crossed the line. The cardinal's wrong. And the cardinal has no business being involved in a publicly funded school system. Well, I wonder, I wonder how we can call them marginalized when they're publicly promoted everywhere we look. And again, you have to conform to what they say is true and the way they, they, they see it. Now, uh, as far as the cardinal being wrong, I mean, the cardinal has the problem of precisely the fact that he's receiving public funding for a school system. They, uh, he now does have to admit that there are others that have a say in the process. He's entirely right in his judgment upon this. But I do think that, again, these, this pressure that is coming from the pagan uh, religious motivation of these people, it is going to break the public system. It, that's the way it's going. All and right. you like that. Well, Other than the word pagan, I would agree with most of what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, you got against pagans. Let's, yeah, exactly. let's I just leave. don't see how it relates to what we're talking about. Let's leave on that note. Uh, Dr. Scott Masson, Senior Fellow at the Ezra Institute of Contemporary Christianity, Justin Trache, Spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share it with friends, but do not charge for or alter the material in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. Thank you.